Coming up on the Big Lunch podcast, psychologist Lucy Beresford and radio host Ian Lee join me to get to the heart of what makes a really good conversation so we can hopefully get everyone talking a little bit more. This podcast was recorded prior to the current advice regarding social distancing. We don't know quite when we'll be able to connect more closely in person with our wider circle of friends, family and neighbours again. But if there's been one consistent throughout lockdown, it's been lunch. So we'd love you to join the big lunch taking place virtually this year on the 6th and 7th of June, where you can still put some of our conversational tips into practice. Find out how to take part at thebiglunch.com. Hello, Ellis James here. Welcome to the Big Lunch podcast, where today I've invited psychotherapist and our resident expert Lucy Beresford and professional talker, radio host Ian Lee, to have a bit of food and a chat. So thank you for coming out. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you for asking. I noticed that you've made a pot of tea. Shall I be mother while you oh, chat mm. with that? Help yourself. That would be lovely. Right. It might be a little noisy. Thank I apologise. I wanted to, to make you feel... Um, nice and relaxed, Ian and Lucy. So I've picked up some of your favourite foods for a gathering. Uh, let's not beat around the bush, Ian. I've got you some crisps. Um, Couldn't be more simple. Yeah, Ian likes crisps. I'm a big fan of crisps. I am. Um, I can't cook. I'm learning to cook. I'm starting to learn to cook at the age of 46. What do you mean can't cook? What are we talking? Like toast, obviously. Toast I can do. Beans on toast. I can do the best poached eggs. Okay. Oh, I can do good poached eggs. Beans on toast with crumbled stock cube in it. Sorry? That's what I got my brownie badge for. What is this exotic nonsense I you're know. talking about? It, that it sounds insane. elevates it to another level. So, Ian, you like crisps. I do like crisps. I, listen, I am starting to learn to cook, and a friend of mine very kindly put together like a homemade book of recipes, and I, can, I made some chilli the other day, and no one died. <laughs> I made a shepherd's pie, Ooh. and it was delicious, and my kids loved it. But if people are just coming over for it, you can't go wrong with a selection of crisps and dips. And if people arrive unexpectedly, always have some crisps and dips ready to go because you can just whack them in a bowl, get the dips out on the table, you're done. We do have some crisps here. I'm, I'm reluctant to dive in, though, because crisps are quite noisy and it yeah. could cause problems. God, I'm not. <laughs> oh, she's going in. Oh, in that case. Do, do you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, if you're listening at home, we've all had crisps before. So you can imagine what's going on in the studio right Salt now. Salt and vinegar. Imagine the flavour. Okay. Um, I think this is called mukbang, isn't it? When people eat food and other people listen to it or watch yeah. it online. It's actually a thing. So we're providing a yeah. service. I mean, in, in about 10 seconds time, I'm going to eat a bowl of shreddies. So it's going to be a very, <laughs> very noisy podcast. Although I would say there is an interesting thing about the the fact that, yes, crisps and dips are, are really lovely and they're yeah. effortless. But there is something about actually having made a tiny bit of effort because the other person thinks, oh, that's really nice. Ian made me a cake. This is, oh, I couldn't go as far as a cake. But Why not? If you can read, oh, no, you can cook. No, not a cake. Yes. Do you see how nervous I'm getting at the thought of doing something like that? The thing with having crisps when people come over, it's a way of taking the pressure off yourself because when people are going over to see Ian Lee, they're not necessarily going over to have a fantastic chili con carne no. or a spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese they're there to enjoy your company as a well, friend this is what i found i'm i've always been and this will, will sound odd for people that may have heard me on the radio or seen me on the tv where i'm you know i'm a, I'm a loud idiot but um i've always been a very nervous host i've, I've never really thrown a party um I, I don't i've never really invited people over and it's only since moving into this house on my own i've been there for nearly two years now 
I've kind of started asking people to come over. And the first time I had a couple of friends over, I was really nervous about them, you know, being entertained. And my friend Simon took me to one side. He said, you're trying too hard. I'm not saying this to embarrass you. We just want to hang out with you. We just want to be with you. So you don't need to put on entertainment. You don't need to do this and that. We just want to come and hang out with you. And, you know, we're good enough friends that if we sit silent for a little bit, that's fine. You know, and it was just hearing that. Oh, it just took all the pressure off. Take the off. pressure away. Oh, it took the pressure off incredibly. Yeah. So a really good friend of mine lives on, happens to live on our streets. So he comes round most days. Wow. And it means, probably six days out of seven, but it means that there is zero pressure on that social engagement. Mm. So he will, you know, in the summer, he will come round in his slippers. <laughs> and it just doesn't matter. That's and great. and it's, it's really, really nice. I mean, some of the jogging bottoms he wears... I would say aren't suitable to be worn outside of the house, but no. that's the thing. I'm not. Go- I'm not going to judge him because I know him so well. But there's this very interesting piece of research that the Big Lunch conducted, and they found that uh, people in the UK can go for as long as three days without having a face-to-face conversation. So that's the national average for how many days we can go in a row without talking. That face-to-face. doesn't surprise me mm. because everything, it, everything, so much of of our interaction is online, is via you know Twitter and Facebook and things, which I, I, I'm really beginning to think are not real. You know, it's not a real conversation that, that you can have on this. And so many people work from home now, or they work from home for maybe a couple of days a week, or maybe they're at home with very small children with or with babes in arms. Uh, that actually, I'm not surprised at all, but it is nevertheless, when you see it as a statistic, it's really shocking. I have, particularly when I was writing one of my novels, I actually found myself extending the conversation or extending Mm. the interaction with the person behind the desk at the post office, (laughs) despite the fact that there was like a queue of 20 people behind me, because I needed that interaction, that human to human connection, which I was really not aware I was missing. So what does it do to us emotionally, seeing people face-to-face that's different to, I don't know, conversing online or even talking on the phone? What do you think? Why do you think it's so important that we talk to people face-to-face? Well, we're very group creatures and we pick up a lot of cues about someone's mood or their involvement with us just by their facial expressions, the body language, eye-to-eye contact, all those things that are completely absent when you've got an online communication. And my worry is that we're increasingly losing those skills to pick up those cues, which we learned from a very early age. We pick those cues up way before we learn language. So we are, as babies, communicating with our caregivers, with our siblings, fully, really quite sophisticated levels of conversation bizarrely despite no words being communicated at all or maybe one person is speaking you know the grown-up mm. might be interact but the baby isn't speaking back but there is still a dialogue taking place and i think we miss that at our peril if we don't engage with other people we are going to feel much more lonely quite bereft can i just just going off on ever such a slight tangent the the best conversation starter piece i ever had i go into you know a a chain of coffee shops and i can sit there quite easily with a book and no one talks to anybody okay i went in there once with one of my cats in a box because it was going to the vets everybody started talking to me everybody started talking to the person everyone was telling their story about cats some people going well i'm a dog person some people going well we lost our cat uh, six months ago and we can't get Everybody in this coffee shop was talking. It was the weirdest thing. And I left after half an hour and people were still 
talking. So my suggestion is take a cat in a box. Yeah. <laughs> to a coffee shop. Yeah. And the, I, the conversation flies. I um I caught a train to Edinburgh with my young son. He was about five or six months old at mm. the time, and there were a lot of football fans on the way to a game, and. They were, you know, they were all drinking beer. It was just about half past ten in the morning. And it was one of those situations where I thought, no, oh, I'll probably have to move carriage mm. because he's so little and I want him to sleep and all of that kind of stuff. But there is something very heartwarming about a baby and the yes. amount of them who came up to have a look at him and to talk to me about him, mm. I found absolutely extraordinary because if you don't melt at the sight of a baby, I mean, not, not everyone does, obviously, but it, it felt like a sort of conversational shorthand and just a way of getting to and not that I particularly wanted their attention anyway but I was quite surprised at how much of a nice used any potential yes 100% so I I think the message of today is have a baby or a kitten (laughs) or or maybe that's incredibly irresponsible advice I don't know so um you know if we obviously as a society we need to to, to get out there and, and talk to people more Ian you're a professional chatter yes have you got any tips for you know maybe someone who who might be slightly anxious or slight, ever so slightly unconfident how would you open a conversation have you seen any good films recently that's a genuine question yeah. have you um and it's slightly different when you have young children i know that because yes there's only is. so many of their those pixar films I'll t- I'll tell you one thing cuz um my children don't sleep. Right. I have watched a documentary about Maradona in 5 minute chunks over the course of 5 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would love to have watched it all in one go. That's implausible. <laughs> um but there's some uh, amazing footage on it. But yeah. Uh, so so that's the last and film there, I watched. And you got and that genuinely is one of if I've not seen my friends for a long time one of the first questions someone because we wouldn't say film buffs but one of the first questions someone will throw out you've seen any good films recently and there we got you know that we got more than just oh you'd seen a maradona film so i've got a kid and the kid doesn't sleep and so i watch it in five minutes and there's some great footage in there and suddenly there's so much yeah in there you know and i i um I do go to the cinema and watch a lot of kids' films. My boys are eight and ten, and I made the bold move at the weekend of watching Speed with them. The Keanu Reeves film. Oh, my gosh. It really stands the test of time. And my boys were thrilled by it. Really? The, the language was a little potty-mouthed. I hadn't okay. realised. But, um, and I think most people, not everyone, and you kind of have to generalise slightly, but most people will have seen a film, or, or, or if they haven't, possibly you you might have something that you can recommend to them. Say, well, I saw you know a great documentary, or I saw this, and actually I wasn't expecting it to be any good, but I really enjoyed it. Or I saw, you know, Jojo Rabbit is is the film that's kind of everyone's talking about at the moment, deservedly so. And for me, it's not going to be the cure all for everybody. That's, that, for me, is a nice, gentle mm. opener. In. I think you can also tweak it a bit because I think sometimes when we're talking intergenerationally, we have to recognise that quite a lot of people, maybe they're housebound, yes. maybe they've become deaf or infirm. Actually, going to the cinema is something that happened 10 years ago. Yes. But you could still say, what was your favourite? What is your favourite film? Or what did you think of the Oscars or the BAFTAs yeah. recently? I've done some things around, which is very much around the phenomenology, what we psychotherapists call the phenomenology of, of the room, That's where you're responding to what is actually in the room at that moment, the phenomenon of, of the person in front of you. So I would possibly make reference to something that they're wearing. I've I've had, I've had struck up conversations with 
um, elderly ladies on the bus because one of them was wearing a fabulous coat and one of them had really lovely boots. So I just say, oh my goodness, you know, fantastic mm. colour, really. And you could do that with men and women. So again, you're focusing on the person themselves, mm. which again is a very heartwarming forward slash seductive thing to do it it feels very powerful because it really feels like the person opposite you is paying attention to you and that uh, again is a really good conversation opener my daughter is five and talk about how charming that can be she's really picked up on this so especially with women she will open a conversation by saying isn't your hair lovely or i love your dress and to hear a four-year-old say that it's something you expect from someone who's much older, but it's incredibly charming and also very disarming to hear a five-year-old go, what a lovely top. <laughs> I don't know where she's got, where she's picked this up from. But yeah, it's, it's because a lot of people actually don't ask many questions. So to have questions or to have something about yourself put to yourself is is very engaging and because it's quite flattering. I, I think listening is the key, and this is this took me a long time to get, uh, and I have got this through doing phone in radio for fifteen years. You know, at the start, I would go on and I would talk, and I would talk. What I have learned is actually I can talk to provoke a conversation, but then I need to listen to what the people say because quite often people will be saying one thing when they phone in the show will be saying one thing, but then they'll just be like a little throwaway comment that now grabs my attention and I kind of then try and pursue that throwaway comment if they're comfortable uh, uh, with that and it is listening and you're right asking questions about something you've just heard hey it's quite flattering to say something and someone go well tell me a bit more about that also you could that's how I learn more about other people is by paying attention to what they're saying and if I don't understand something I'm, I'm really good now I used to hate looking dumb but if someone says something I don't understand, I go, really sorry, I don't know what that yeah, means. I don't, quite get that. I don't get that. And people are really generally really happy to then expound on a point they've made and explain something. Yes, because it makes them feel possibly even superior to you in that moment. And that's not a bad thing. No. You're just actually paving the way for a connection to happen. Mm. Because you were in the jungle. So you had to this fill. This is the rumor I've heard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you, you had to fill weeks and weeks. I was in there for three weeks with a group, you know, the, the, the premise of I'm a Celebrity is it's a group of people that, that would not normally be put together. And it's partly because they want to want to create attention um, and, and, and because, you know, attention is apparently a, a entertainment. And we were in there for weeks and I would I would listen to what everyone was said, what everyone said, uh, not everyone did, but 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 quite often you know that you would have you could have a day where no one's got any conversation and what i would be able to do is go oh th- th- that that thing you mentioned 2 weeks ago that i've been thinking about that did you really get into an argument with such and such or did you re- th- we we had um one of the um, actresses from uh, Coronation Street, and she kind of threw away early on that she'd been in Emmerdale Farm, which I was a big fan. In fact, I'm calling it Emmerdale Farm shows how old I am. <laughs> oh, and yeah. then and then two weeks later, I was able to go. What, so what did you do in Emmerdale Farm? That's it. And it was we just had to stretch everything out because yeah. there was no point in going in on the first day and having all of the conversation because then what do you do for the next twenty days? So listening was was again was the key. You were right there. You've, you, it looks like you sat in an uncomfortable position. Uh, yeah, I. Um, he sat on a crisp. Oh, what I. 
I committed myself to an uncomfortable position at the start of the recording, and now I've got pins and needles. So I, I, I'm apologising to the listener. I'm apologising to myself. Ellis, we're there for you. Thank you. And um, do, do you want to walk around the room a bit to no, shake it off? No, I do have a question I've been dying to ask you. <laughs> yes. From your, uh, your experience on the jungle. Yes. When I'm a celebrity, rather. <clears throat> How hungry did you get? I didn't get very hungry because when I went in five days after everyone else had, and from the moment I went in, things started going really well. So I, I think on the second or third day, I won a luxury meal. Um, I won, I won a, a roast dinner at one point. So I was getting really oh, okay. well fed. So I was I was having a great time because I don't get very anxious. I'm hugely lucky in that respect. But the one thing that worries me is being hungry or the prospect of being hungry. So if I turn up for something and lunch isn't provided, but there's nowhere to buy lunch and I haven't brought lunch, I'm like, right. guys, I, sort of, I, can't, okay. I can't concentrate. Wow, unreliability of resources. How yeah. Um, Lucy, have you got any tips on how we can make people feel at ease during a conversation? Well, they do say that the um, shortest distance between two people is a smile. So the very first thing, again, is that facial cue of... I'm pleased to meet you. I'm I'm really excited to see you. I'm really enjoying this conversation. To have that smile, not a kind of a rictus grin that, you know, you're gritting your teeth, but just that sense of, yeah, this is a fun thing. This is a this is a really enjoyable moment of my day. Uh, so that would be my first thing is to try to settle into that frame of mind when you're when you're meeting people. And also again, just saying, um, we all know of the couples where they finish each other's sentences and it seems quite endearing, but there is something quite um, comforting about feeling that someone else is so in tune with what you're telling them that they could almost finish mm. your little anecdote for you. I mean, occasionally that can be a bit annoying and you can almost find yourself <laughs> deliberately choosing a different word that they'll never <laughs> think of. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other story. But I think doing little things to mirror back, to reflect back, certainly as a psychotherapist, you know, most of my life is about reflecting back what that other person has said. And the reason why that's so powerful is that it makes the other person feel so exquisitely heard. What about eye contact? Eye contact was something I always struggle with, and it's, it's something I've really had to, in the last 10 years, make myself do. It's not my, my yeah. natural thing would be kind of low self-esteem. It's kind of look down and talk. But eye contact is important, isn't it? Yes, any kind of looking at the face. Mm. And obviously, if you're flirting with someone, if it's a different type of conversation, then maybe not the eyes, but you know, you're looking at the lips. And if you, you're the one being aware that someone is doing that for you, that, that in itself is a bit of a turn on. But eye contact is amazing because, mm. again, pre-verbally, it's just the windows to the soul and you can see what someone is really feeling. I've been with my partner for 10 years. Lucy, what, what was flirting like? <laughs> Well, it's very stressful. Yes. You wouldn't like it. Right, okay. It's quite uncomfortable. Yeah, sort of, it's a very sort of early 2000s thing from, 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 from my memory. Um, Never too late to learn again. Right, yeah, yeah. I should, I should, I should be a bit more flirty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a lovely flower. Mm, <laughs> it's all gone horribly carry on. Yeah. What a lovely... Mm. Oh, lovely hummus. Oh. Um, you know, Ian, you're on talk radio yes. and obviously you know you're in the public eye so because of the nature of your job do you find that people open up to you more easily yes they do the, sh the show that i do on the radio is we i talk 
I try and avoid all of the big political stories, you know, the the, the Brexit and the, the, all of those things, because everyone else is doing those. Uh, and I talk very openly about mental health, my mental health, my depression, my drug addiction, my sexuality. I came out as bisexual on air, which was I never thought I'd do, you know, and it was just this huge. For me, it was a huge thing. What, so you hadn't planned it before the show? No, and I'd only, I'd only kind of accepted it like a few weeks before. I'd had a horrible year and I was in a really horrible car crash and all these horrible things happened and I did some really intensive therapy and we kind of came to the conclusion, oh God, I think I'm bisexual. Um, uh, which, you know, tallies with, with some of my behaviour. And I told my partner and I told a couple of friends and then it didn't quite feel like I'd accepted it. So on the radio, I just went, oh yeah, and by the way, um, I'm bisexual. Anyway, so, and to me it felt, I still get nervous talking about it because it was only a few months ago. To me, it felt like this huge thing. And all the listeners went, all right, yeah, nice one. But, I mean, I'm saying that to illustrate the kind of honesty that I, I incorporate into my show. And that the, 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 I have very few secrets on air. And as a result, people, generally men, because, you know, I'm a middle-aged bloke, women as well, but generally men feel that they can speak to me on the air or if they meet me at a function on a very intimate level Catherine my producer and I have built up this level of trust with the audience where people like that feel that they can phone in and share that kind of stuff so you know I'm thinking I've I've I can actually remember times in my life where I've met someone and we've just instantly clicked mm. and had an amazing conversation and it might have gone on for hours and hours and you know I I, I, I love chatting to people and it some of these conversations I'm thinking about them 20 years on because you you just remember a sort of quite an intimate connection with someone that happens because you were you know two people who just happened to get on with similar backgrounds similar experiences and all that kind of thing so more generally what do you think makes a great conversation honesty for me is the key thing you know it, it, it's nice talking about the weather and stuff but i just it, for me i need to have an honest open connection with someone it doesn't necessarily mean revealing something as huge as you know, coming out. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but just honesty. You know, the fact that you've shared with me and Lucy about your five-year-old. I feel privileged to have heard that because that's actually quite an intimate, private, personal thing. So it, it, it's it's that. It's 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 a kind of honesty that I think creates a connection for me, I would, I would say. Yes, because in a way, what we're doing in that moment is we're kind of bearing witness to the other person. So even your anecdotes about, you know, look, you learning to cook, mm. you've shared that, we've witnessed it, we've, you know, replayed our view of that and our suggestions around it. And that's where the conversation came from. It wasn't scripted. We just instinctively responded to someone telling an authentic personal story. And in a funny way, that is just really what conversations are. They're just a series of little personal stories. It's also... Um it's slightly vulnerable saying that you can't cook. Mm. And I, I think people admire that kind of self-deprecating nature because if you could, if you can admit, well, it's not a flaw being you know unable to cook, but I feel just not so that judged. he's making you <laughs> feel bad. But if you can say, well, I actually can't do this, yeah, or but I've it's never so been horrendous. able to do that. <laughs> it's 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 actually quite. It's I like it when people say, oh, you know, what? I would, I'm terrible at DIY. Mm. You think, well, great, so am I. Mm. <laughs> Where do you learn this stuff? And um, I think there's something quite powerful about being able to admit 
um, the stuff that you can't do yeah. and little frailties. I think that's um, and also if, if you know if, if you're if you're with it now, if I'm with someone who can cook, how do you do it? What to give, yeah. give, me, give me something easy that I could do. What what give me just give me a, a tip. Now I'm I'm trying to pick their brains. Yeah, again, which is flattering to them, but I have a genuine interest. Give, give me something that I could easily do with my kids. What 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 would that be? Um, and 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 then you've got a conversation going, and then someone's writing notes for you, or say, well, give me your email, and I'll send you. A, you know, then there's a whole new level of conversation going on. So if that's what makes a good conversation, what are what are your conversational pet peeves? Um, I don't like it when people don't listen and when you just know that the other person is looking at you, but they're glassy eyed. And then the next thing they say, they've obviously been preparing what they're going to say when you yeah. stop speaking because it's not connected to what you've just said. So, so what are your conversational pet peeves? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alice. Oh, Alice, you are a one. I used to be such a fan of yours. So, I've gone right off you. Absolutely delighted. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not listening. It's not interacting. It's not <clears throat> responding. You know, there's some people that like to, and I, I may have been guilty of this in the past, that like to hog the whole thing. The gathering is about me and you will, I will hold court. Some people are great. You know, if you're sat having lunch with Brian Blessed, you carry on, Brian. But I, I think a lot of people listen. are afraid of silence. And what, mm. what the person who's hogging the, the limelight in that moment would often say is, but nobody else was chipping in. You know, I was talking and I, I had a feeling that if I stopped talking, then, you know, the souffle would collapse, as it were. But actually... <laughs> What you need is to get conversations need time to breathe. And sometimes and it doesn't always have to be. I mean, we've all had conversations, as you described, where you can't stop talking for four hours. But there are equally conversations that are much more gentle. And there's a little bit of reflection. And people are sort of thinking about what you've said. And there's a bit of silence. And people are actually afraid of silence, which is a great shame, because so much can come out of that silence. My pet peeve would be, yes, a very specific form of distraction, which would be people getting out their mobile phones, yeah. kind of getting out the phone oh, and just checking as if somehow what is on the phone is way more important than what I'm talking about, which is clearly impossible. I'd like to know what the pre-mobile phone era version of that was, because that is now, that's now something everyone has experienced. Gosh, yeah. So Let me Google it. Hang on so, a second. <laughs> but I got my f- first phone when I was about 18 in 1999. So in 1998, what were the, 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 the habitual phone checker? That's clearly... You People know. interrupting. <laughs> yes, I suppose. Smoking cigarettes. Yeah, you rolling. Know, I need to go for a quick fag. Yeah. Yeah. In 98, you could sit there and oh, you could have true, a smoke actually. in a, you could literally in a restaurant. Be Ro- I used own. to roll up. That's a really good question. I mean, my, my 10-year-old, controversially, has got a phone after much deliberation and much... Um, I said to him, give me three reasons why you should get a phone. And the, the second one was, because you don't live with me, Daddy, and I miss you and I can phone you whenever. I went, oh, boy, <gasps> yeah. you're good. You're good at this. Um, but I really try and set an example of in front of him and that I'm not always on my phone when I'm with the kids, that when we're eating, certainly don't have phones at the table. And he so far is good. So far, he will leave his phone in another room and not worry about it. Well, I'd like to say that I think this is the best podcast that's ever been made. Uh, hosted with a plum. Uh, by myself. Um, I thought I was really, really brilliant uh, over the last half an hour or so. Most um, unconvincing offer I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your tips with me and having a little bit of lunch with me. Well, can lunch. I eat these crisps now? Of course. You okay, can. We'll, we'll go in. An thank entirely you. crisp based lunch. Uh, thank you very much, Ian and Lucy. Thank you. Thank you. 
tomorrow, myself and Lucy will be talking to writer Gemma Styles about all things digital communication. Don't forget, you can find out more about the UK's annual Thanksgiving weekend for neighbours and communities taking place virtually this year at thebiglunch.com. 